You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today I'll be reading You Make Me Feel Like I Am Whole Again by Friend of Carlotta. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe Soulmates, Soulmate Identifying Marks, Minor Kaya Nieves and Claire Novak, Trope Subversion, Group Therapy, First Time, Bottom Castiel, Top Dean Winchester, Anal Sex, Marriage Proposal, Past Dean Winchester, Nick Monroe, Past Castiel, Meg Masters. You Make Me Feel Like I Am Whole Again Written by Friend of Carlotta Read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein Summary Dean's relationship with his soulmate was a complete failure. Going to group therapy was supposed to help him move on, but Dean hates every minute of it. Until a blue-eyed, gravel-voiced newcomer joins the sessions. As Dean learns more about Cass and his own soulmate troubles, he realizes it just might be worth giving love another chance. First thing you have to understand, Dr. Mia Vallon says, is that there's nothing wrong with you. 
Dean's heard it all before, so he counts the dust motes floating in front of him to keep from letting his irritation show. Dr. Valens takes her time studying the roughly ten people gathered around her in a circle of hideously orange plastic chairs. When she gets to Dean, he shifts impatiently in his seat until she moves on. Just because you couldn't make it work with your soulmate, Dr. Valens continues, doesn't mean that you're broken. Dean doesn't mean to scoff, but it comes out anyway. Ever since he and Nick broke up, he's gotten about a hundred less than sincere versions of there's no guarantee, even with soulmates. Or at least you had some good years together, right? Of course, Dr. Valens hears him because she's got some kind of fucked up super hearing. Anything you want to share with us, Dean? She gives him that look, the one where she dips her chin and narrows her eyes, as if to say, do as I tell you or face awful consequences. She missed her calling, Dean thinks grumpily. Should have been a middle school teacher instead of a therapist who specializes in counseling people with failed soulmate relationships. It's just, Dean says, licking his lips as he revs up for his pet speech. People say there's nothing wrong with fucking it up with your soulmate, you know. But they don't mean it. They get to go home to their perfect marriage or relationship or whatever. And pity that poor, miserable bastard who couldn't even make it work with the one person the universe specifically picked for him. Dean doesn't have to look to the rest of the group to feel the force of the collective eye roll. He's come to expect that reaction, because it's not the first time he's gotten on a soapbox during one of these sessions. Not by a long shot. What he doesn't expect is a gravel-deep, heartfelt, exactly. His head whips around, eyes snagging on the guy who showed up to the support group for the first time today. He's not a chore to look at. Nice, sharp jawline, messy, dark hair and the most striking blue eyes. Something about the way his suit is just a little big on him and his tie is just a little loose at his neck is really working well for Dean, too. Dr. Valens turns to address the newcomer. Castiel, you agree with Dean's assessment? Castiel looks vaguely alarmed to be called out, but then visibly straightens his spine. Yes. I find myself getting very tired of the meaningless platitudes people spew under a thin veneer of encouragement. Even if it's true that there's nothing wrong with us, the fact is, our society is set up to tell us differently every single day. Yeah, right? Dean leans forward in his chair, fired up now and gesticulating wildly. I mean, you turn on the TV and it's nothing but soulmates on every fucking show. Hell, in every fucking commercial. If you're not out there buying matching jewelry based on your soul marks, then you're a screw-up by definition. Across the circle from Dean, Castiel nods along. And don't get me started on... All right, all right. Dr. Valens holds up both hands, palms out, placating. You've made your point. Let's move on. Reluctantly, Dean leans back in his chair and watches Castiel do the same. Their eyes catch and hold. And Dean has the uncanny feeling that he's just made a friend.
didn't even want to go to the stupid support group to start with, you know. I'm not really a feelings talk kind of guy. Dean says as he takes a sip of his beer. He asked Cass to come out for drinks at his favorite dive bar after the meeting, so they could vent some more without Dr. Valens playing chaperone. It's a Wednesday night, which means the place isn't too busy, and they were able to snag a couple of stools next to each other at the bar. So why do you go? Cass asks, sounding genuinely curious. Dean shrugs. My brother talked me into it. He thought I needed to, how do you put it, work through my grief. Like Nick died or something, instead of just being a creepy, possessive, emotionally unavailable asshole. Cass nods thoughtfully, wiping at the condensation on his beer bottle. I truly don't understand our society's obsession with the concept of soulmates. In my extended family alone, there are two other failed soulmate relationships. And yet, we continue to romanticize the idea to a harmful extent. Yeah. Dean scratches at a stain on the wood of the bar to distract himself from the low boil of anger and resentment in his gut. I mean, I get it, you know. People want to think there's a person out there who's exactly right for them. They just have to find that person to live happily ever after. Doesn't help that the damn marks are literally etched into our skins. Dean rolls up the sleeve of his flannel. He hasn't gotten around to covering up his mark with a tattoo yet, but he knows he will eventually. It's on his right forearm. It looks kind of like an F turned back to front, except there's two lines in the middle rather than one and they don't quite connect to the rest of the shape. It's an exact mirror image of the one on Nick's left arm. Before Dean met Nick, and when things were still good between them, he liked looking at the mark. It made him feel hopeful that he could do anything, beat anything, with his soulmate by his side. These days, though, it just makes him angry. Yes, Cass agrees. He shifts on his stool, and his knee bumps against Dean's under the bar top. The marks reinforce the fiction that living happily ever after with our soulmates is part of our DNA, and anyone who doesn't achieve that goal has something wrong with them. A crack in their chassis, as my mother so charmingly put it when I told her I couldn't convince Meg to stay. Dean shifts a little to the left in his seat, and it's definitely not because the motion enables him to tuck up his knee against Cass's. He was just stuck in an uncomfortable position. Is your mom the one who talked to you into going to therapy? He asks. Cass shakes his head. My friend Anna did that. My mother wanted me to prostrate myself at Meg's feet until she agreed to take me back. Dean watches the way Cass's hand tightens around his beer bottle until the knuckles stand out white. Fuck, that's messed up, he says. Sorry. It's fine, Cass says, but Dean can't help but notice that Cass's posture is a little more tense and stiff than it was just a minute ago. I did try very hard to make things work with Meg, but she was clear from the outset that she wasn't interested in, as she called it, a white picket fence and 2.5 kids. She liked her freedom, and in the end, I suppose I couldn't hold her interest. Dean catches the quick flare of hurt and disappointment that crosses Cass's face, even as he tries to disguise it by taking a sip of his beer. No, listen, dude. Dean leans forward, trying to catch Cass's eye. When he succeeds, he says, 
I know we both get fed up with people trying to make us feel better by saying stuff they don't mean. But whether they mean it or not, there's still truth in it. Cass, just because your soulmate wasn't a good match for you doesn't make you broken. Cass nods, lips curving up in a shy half-smile. It's a really good smile, and Dean would like to see a whole lot more of it. Cass takes off his coat and rolls up the sleeve of his shirt, exposing the mark on his left forearm. Like all soulmate marks, it's an abstract pattern, supposed to be obscure to all but a special few people who know how to interpret the mark's true meaning. In Cass's case, the mark is shaped like a cup with two handles, open at the top. My mother sent me to an interpreter when I was twelve, Cass says, staring down at his arm ruefully. The interpreter said my mark was a perfect representation of the Enochian letter Gur, which she seemed to think meant I was capable of great love and devotion. He pulls down his sleeve, looking a little self-conscious. I'm aware of the irony. Dean rolls his sleeve back down. He doesn't like to look at his mark for too long anyway. I put it off for a while, but I did get the interpretation done when I was 16, he admits. The guy told me the two intersecting lines meant strength of purpose, and the two unconnected ones mean that my purpose will remain unclear until the time is right, or some new age shit like that. He scoffs. Wasn't hard to read between the lines. You're not complete until your soulmate walks through the door. Cass looks even more despondent at that, so Dean puts a steadying hand on his shoulder. Hey, you want another drink? Cass nods and holds up two fingers, signaling to the bartender for a second round. Drinks after group therapy become a regular thing. For the first time ever, Dean finds that he actually looks forward to going to the meetings if only because he and Cass can make faces at each other the whole time. But then the weirdest thing happens. Dean finds it bothers him a lot less when people ask about his soulmate or his mark. Maybe he's just heard Dr. Valen spew her therapy talk often enough for it to sink in. Or it could be that he's actually getting more receptive to what she's saying. Now, even when he gets the at least you had some good years speech, it just rolls right off his back because he's got Wednesdays at the bar with Cass to look forward to. Soon, Sundays at Dean's house gets added to the mix, usually featuring a movie and a six-pack. Cass tends to stick to one beer, two at most, so he can still drive home after. But one night, about two months into their friendship, Cass is in kind of a weird mood, all fidgety and nervous, and suddenly there's four empty bottles in front of him on the coffee table. That's never happened before. You know, Cass says, letting his head loll to the side so he's looking right at Dean across less than two feet of couch. I always thought my soulmate would turn out to be a man. Dean almost chokes on his sip of beer. Oh, he croaks. Yes, Cass says, his forehead wrinkled thoughtfully. I've always been more interested in men than women. One of Cass's cheeks is scrunched up against the fabric of the couch. Dean kind of wants to laugh at the ridiculous dork, and also kind of wants to kiss him. The kissing impulse had reared its head before, 
but Dean's kept a tight leash on it because Cass's soulmate was a woman, and Cass had never given any indication of swinging both ways before. But, well, this conversation is heading an interesting direction. I didn't know that about you, Cass, he says, hoping it comes off as nonchalant, rather than desperately curious. That you're into guys at all, I mean. Cass nods, his squished cheek moving up and down against the couch cushion. You know, I've been meaning to tell you that I'm very attracted to you. But maybe you've already noticed. I've been told I'm not very subtle. Dean swallows, hard. Uh, no, nobody can't say that I have. Cass's eyes narrow and God help Dean, he pouts. You're not attracted to me. No, uh, that's really not the problem, Cass. Dean licks his lips as he tries to figure out how to put this delicately. Putting things delicately is not his strong suit. It's just, you're my friend, and I didn't want to screw that up with a one-night stand, you know? Cass sits up, suddenly looking a whole lot less buzzed. His hair is a tangled mess on the side of his head that was pressed up against the couch. I understand. You're not interested in a relationship. The lines of Cass's face are tense now, closed off, and Dean's heart breaks a little. He's hooked up with a few other people whose soulmate relationships went bad. There's not always a lot of talking before the main event, but still, those people almost always tend to mention that they're never going to date again. Cass has probably encountered that kind of attitude, too. But Dean is not going to be that person. Not with Cass. I'll be honest, he says, keeping his back glued to the couch rather than leaning forward. He figures it's his best bet to avoid spooking Cass, who looks within about ten seconds of bolting for the door. I hadn't really considered the idea of dating anyone else after Nick. But you know what? There's something stirring in his chest, a spark of rebellion. That's the whole point we've been trying to make, right? Why should the universe get to be in charge of our love life? Why can't we pick our own person if we got dealt a shitty soulmate hand? Cass opens his mouth to speak, but Dean barrels on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out for a date. It's going to be sappy as shit, because fuck, we deserve it. For the first time, it occurs to him that Cass might have an opinion on the matter, so he adds a little sheepishly. I mean, if you like. A big, happy grin spreads across Cass's face. I like. Fuck. So good. You feel so good. Dean pushes into Cass's tight heat holding onto the headboard for support with one hand. The sound of skin slapping against skin fills the room, and Dean's eyes are locked onto Cass's lust-parted lips, those gorgeous blue eyes glazed with pleasure. Dean, Cass rasps. Faster, harder, please. If you're still coherent enough to be polite, Dean whispers into the sweaty skin of Cass's temple. I ain't doing my job right. He thrusts harder, 
pulling a hoarse moan from Cass that mingles with his own heavy breathing. Cass squeezes impossibly tight around him, the feeling making heat pool heavy in Dean's gut. Cass's legs tighten around Dean's waist as he raises himself up to meet Dean halfway on every push inside. They're exactly in sync, moving together seamlessly like they were always meant to do this. Dean can tell Cass is close by the hitches in his breathing, the low, desperate groans he lets out every time Dean gets his angle just right. Dean, touch me. Cass's voice is scraped, shaky with need. Moving his hand off the headboard, Dean takes hold of Cass's dripping cock, jerking him in time with his thrust until Cass comes all over Dean's fist. Dean is so focused on the feeling of wetness and warmth on his fingers, the amazing fit of the two of them together, that his orgasm takes him completely by surprise. With a hoarse shout, he spills into the condom, even as Cass's chest is still heaving with the force of his own climax. Dean rolls off and to the side, collapsing into Cass's outstretched arm. Cass immediately pulls him in, their lips meeting in a wet, messy kiss. That was wonderful. Cass says against Dean's lips, a small smile on his face and his breathing still faster than normal. Dean hums his agreement and moves in for another kiss, this one sweet and chaste. He gets up to dispose of the condom and grab a washcloth from the bathroom. When he walks back in and hands Cass the cloth, Cass mutters a quiet thank you, but won't meet Dean's eye. Cass, he asks. Cass looks down at his stomach as he wipes up the mess there, his jaw working. I. He sighs as he crumples the dirty washcloth in his hand. I was just wondering if, if you enjoyed, you didn't say. Dean's stomach plummets. Oh, he reaches for Cass's hand, gently straightening the fingers clenched around the cloth. He grabs the cloth and tosses it in the vague direction of the hamper. It falls at least two feet short, but Dean can't get himself to care just now. Sitting down on the bed, he wraps an armor on Cass's shoulders and leans in to kiss his forehead. Cass, he whispers against Cass's still sweaty skin. It was amazing. You were amazing. He can practically feel Cass melt with relief next to him. Oh, good. Cass says, then looks down at his lap. The light in Dean's bedroom is dim but Dean thinks there's a slight pink tinge blooming across Cass's cheeks. I just, I know sex is supposed to be best with your soulmate, so I'm sure you've had better. Listen to me, Dean says, cupping Cass's face and turning it until their eyes are locked on each other. Nick and I were great together in bed, but everything else? Shitty as hell. I had more fun with you on our first date tonight than I think I ever had with Nick. And guess what? Cass swallows hard, but his lips are twitching. What? Dean pecks him on the lips just because he can. Nick never wanted to cuddle after sex. What's your policy on cuddling? It's very much encouraged, Cass says, and he's definitely smiling now. See? Dean grins and pushes Cass back down against the bed. 
He climbs across Cass's lap and lies down on his side. Wiggling down the mattress, he drapes himself across Cass's chest, head resting right over his heart. Alrighty, so much better. Cass runs a gentle hand up and down Dean's arm, leaving goosebumps in his wake. I had a very nice time on our date, too. Thank you. Dean nuzzles into the side of Cass's neck. Not too sappy. He's trying to make it sound teasing, but there's some genuine worry underneath. He wanted to pull out all the stops, so he picked one of the best restaurants in town. White tablecloth, steak, red wine, and an amazing view of the city. It's the kind of place where people take their soulmates when they want to propose. So not exactly first date material. But this was Cass, and Dean figured that it would make it all right. At least he hoped so. Just sappy enough, Cass whispers into the top of Dean's head. Dean tightened his arm around Cass's waist and at peace with himself and the world, drifts off to sleep. believe we haven't been back here in three years, Cass says, eyes wide as he takes in the glittering lights of the city outside the window next to their table. The view really is incredible. Yeah, well, Dean says, trying to push down the butterflies rioting in his stomach. It's our first date spot. Wanted to save coming back here for something special. Cass's focus immediately shifts away from the view and onto Dean. Something special, he asks, frowning, before his face lights up with a smile. Did Bobby accept your offer on the garage? Dean shifts in his seat, eyes fixed on the last few smears of pie filling on his plate. Nah, not yet. I'm sure he will, though. He takes a deep breath. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. Dean forces himself to meet Cass's eyes the deep blue of them just as mesmerizing as it was the first time he saw them, across the room at group therapy. Cass, these past few years have been the best in my life, and I... Dean's voice quavers a little, and he clears his throat before he continues. I love you. So much. He looks down at the outline of his soul mark, still etched into his skin, before his eyes dart back up to Cass's face. I love you too, Dean. Cass says, and his hand covers Dean's where it's curled into a fist on the table. Instead of turning his hand palm up to lace their fingers together, like he usually would, Dean tightens his fist. He can't let Cass see what's in his hand. Not yet. A flicker of confusion crosses Cass's face. But Dean knows he still has a few things to get out into the open before he can let on what he's about to do. Remember when I told you about getting my soul mark interpretation done? Dean asks. Cass nods minutely and then tilts his head a little, like he does when he's paying very close attention to something. It's just one of the many quirks Dean loves about him. Anyway, I... When the guy said my purpose was going to be unclear until the time was right, 
I figured he meant I wasn't complete until I found my soulmate. But I think I had that wrong. I think what it really meant was that I had to figure out my purpose for myself. With his free hand, Dean reaches across the table to cup Cass's face, wanting to reassure him. And you know what made me realize that? You did. Cass's breath hitches and he leans into Dean's touch. You said your interpreter told you that you were capable of great love and devotion. And I realized that's true. But it's got nothing to do with your soulmate, you know. That's just... Dean shrugs, his thumb stroking across Cass's cheekbone. That's just you. Cass covers Dean's hand with his. Dean, he starts to say, but Dean interrupts him. Sorry, sweetheart, but I'm not done yet. I want you to know that I'm in this, Cass. We might not be soulmates, but I just know that you're my person. Cass goes very still, eyes wide and lips slightly parted. You're the person I picked for myself. And I want you to be my person for the rest of our lives, if, if you'll have me. Dean pulls his fist out from under Cass's hand and opens it to reveal a simple silver band, polished and gleaming under the soft overhead lights. Cass, will you marry me? Cass must have been holding his breath for quite a while, because the force of his exhale is audible even across the table and over the soft music playing in the background. His eyes are a little watery, but there's a big, happy smile on his face. Yes, Dean. Of course I'll marry you. The first thing you have to understand is that there's nothing wrong with you, Dean says, letting his eyes rove over the small group that's gathered around him in a circle of hideously orange plastic chairs. Just because you couldn't make it work with your soulmate doesn't mean you're broken. Cass sits in the chair to his left, Dr. Valens in the one to his right. He doesn't have to look at her to know there's an amused glint in her eye that says, I told you so. The chorus of scoffs and mutters that meets Dean's statement is painfully familiar. He ducks his head and smiles. Hey, I get it. You've heard it all before and it sounds like bullcrap. Believe me, I was right there with you. He looks up at Cass to find him already watching, a small smile on his face. But then I met my husband and he... He made me believe that there really might be a way for me to move on from your soulmate and be happy, you know? A young woman with wavy blonde hair sitting straight across the circle from Dean speaks up, arms crossed over her chest. Everybody knows relationships are a lot less likely to last if you're not soulmates. Claire, Dr. Valen says, disapproval radiating off her. What? Claire shrugs. It's true. Exactly. The voice belongs to a slim girl with dark eyes, sharp cheekbones, and wavy black hair. Dean doesn't miss the spark of interest in Claire's eyes when he turns to face her. Kaya? 
Do you agree with Claire's assessment? Dr. Valens asks. Kaya looks vaguely alarmed to be called out, but then visibly straightens her spine. Yeah. I mean, just because these two got it together doesn't mean we'll all have some fairy tale relationship after we screwed up with our soulmates, you know? Claire nods, eyes darting back to Dean in open challenge. Look, Dean says, shrugging. There's never a guarantee when it comes to dating or even marriage. Soulmates or not, there's always the possibility that things go south. You just gotta keep working on the relationship to make sure it lasts. He looks down at his forearm, where his old soul mark still sits, alongside a tattoo of Cass's name in black, looping script. In the end, he decided not to cover up the evidence of his bond with Nick. After all, the experience of loving and losing their soulmates was what brought him and Cass together in the first place. Of course, Cass has a matching tattoo of Dean's name alongside his own mark, and Dean watches out of the corner of his eye as one of Cass's fingers traces the outline of the letters inked into his skin. The gesture a subtle reassurance for both of them. Dean is right, Cass says. Relationships take work. Dean and I have worked hard on ours for some time now, and I think we've done well. Yeah, Dean says, reaching for Cass's hand. He twines their fingers together, feeling Cass's warm skin shift next to the cool, solid silver of his wedding band. We've been together five years, married two. Pretty good track record, I'd say. Nobody scoffs this time, and even Claire uncrosses her arms, though her brows are still drawn together in a scowl. Anyway, Dean says. Dr. Valens mostly invited us here today to tell you all about the group Cass and I started. That does prompt a collective eye roll, and Dean hastens to add, Not another therapy group, like a social mixer. We meet in a room just down the hall on Thursday nights. We've got video games set up and board games. And don't tell Dr. Valens, but we sometimes smuggle in a cooler beer. With amusement, Dean notes that Claire's brows have smoothed out and she's actually leaning forward a little. Anyway, it's supposed to be a fun, low-pressure place to meet other people who broke up with their soulmates and might be ready to try dating again, Dean continues. Cass and I made it work by ourselves, but I think we could have used something like that to help us along, so we wanted to make it happen for other people. Yes, Cass agrees, squeezing Dean's hand. It can be hard to find other people looking for a genuine connection after a soulmate relationship especially when society has gone out of its way to tell us that such a thing isn't possible. Dean watches as Kaya's eyes dart to the side of Claire's face. Claire seems to notice because she turns a little, and their eyes catch and hold. Dean chuckles. Yeah, you too? He points back and forth between Claire and Kaya. Should definitely come. Both women blush a little, but neither seem to argue and Dean thinks he sees the smallest possible smile twitch at the corner of Claire's mouth. We'll leave you to the rest of your session, Cass says, getting up and pulling Dean along. But anyone is welcome to join us. We'll leave some flyers by the door, so do pick one up on your way out. Dean watches as Cass pulls the stack of pink flyers out of his messenger bag and arranges them in a neat pile by the door, next to the coffee maker's. Then, as he turns to leave, something occurs to him. Oh, by the way, Dean says, if you decide to join us, just follow the signs in the hallway. They'll have the name of our group on them. 
Claire turns around in her chair to smirk at him. You gonna tell us what the group is called, or should we guess? Dean chuckles. Sure, I'll tell you. It's called Team Free Will. The end. Thank you so much for listening. He's gotten about a hundred less than sincere. He's gotten about a hundred less than. He's gotten about a hundred less than. Less than sincere. He's gotten about a hundred less than sincere versions of There's No Guarantee, even with soulmates.
Anything you want to share with us, Dean? Hey. I'm recording, don't mew. What, you want out? You can get out. I didn't know you were here. You want out? There's room for you to get out, you little turd. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.